If somebody wants to be a truly outstanding athlete, if somebody wants to be a phenomenal leader in business, then getting their nutritional needs met and not toxifying themselves is crucial to the process. The business outlaws. You know that we win. You know that we win. We fight for the cause. We fight for the cause. A circle of winners. A circle of winners. We're business outlaws. We're business outlaws. You know that we win and we fight for the cause. A circle of winners. We're business outlaws. We're business outlaws. We're business outlaws. Welcome to Business Outlaws. Here we make you a fly on the wall for some of the biggest entrepreneurs on the planet. I'm talking about humble billionaire Big Mike. Hey. Hey. Big Mike is the CEO and founder of Advanced Nutrients, Big Mike's Blends, and Locturnus Labs. Alongside him is Chris Collins, the business whisperer, best-selling author and founder of a secret entrepreneur society, Syndicate X. X, 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 X. And the beautiful Jamie Foxx. That's correct. Co-conspirator. Femme fatale. Oh. Partner in crime. <laughs> I like co-conspirator. Ride or die. Femme fatale. Partner in crime. We'll, dare you de- we'll bury a dead body for you. That's right. At three o'clock in the morning. Yes, I will. But you got to bring the shovel. Yeah, I'm not. I'm I'm five eight, but I'm not super strong. I got to have some tools. I can't like carry this man or woman or both, whatever you decided to. Well, listen to put you. In the car. Oh, hey, <laughs> Equal opportunity murder. <laughs> <laughs> uh, today we have a guest. Christopher, yeah. Michael, mm-hmm. Eric, Edmeets. Yes, That's correct. You have Good a job. La- yeah. Thank you. So Eric is a, a brother of ours because we're in Genius X together. So we're really excited about this today. But let me tell you a little bit about. Eric. First off, what's Genius X? Can you explain that to me, please? No, it's secret. Sick. A true serial entrepreneur and business outlaw, Eric has spent the last 20 years starting, buying, selling, and turning around businesses in six countries. Eric owns or has owned businesses in data capture, field service, wireless networking, event management, high-fidelity medical simulation, and Hollywood special effects, where his companies worked on blockbuster movies, including James Cameron's groundbreaking Avatar, Neil Blockman's Elysium and films in the Iron Man, Transformers, and Pirates of the Caribbean franchises. One of the true pioneers of the coming food revolution, the founder of WildFit, Eric is passionate about helping people, and in particular children, achieve and experience outstanding health. Welcome to the Business Outlaws show, Eric. Welcome, Eric. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. The only show with a bud tender. And a bartender. Have you ever been on a podcast where we have a bartender and a bud tender? I, no, I can safely say no. And if I could, could I order a tequila? Oh, Some mezcal? Tequila, you should say please. A, uh, please. Yeah. I know your mother raised you better than that. Miss Cody, could I please have some of that mezcal? And then I, everybody to narrate, Mike's taking a huge hit from some contraption. Six thousand six hundred dollars. Louis, what is he? What did you put in here for him? Oh yeah, what the fuck am I smoking, Louis? Go to the microphone. Oh, purple punch. You gotta go to the microphone, though. You're trying to like really chill me out today, huh? Yeah, I got you. Well, do I seem that tense this morning? On on the table is Big Mike's lens. We have Creative Kingdom. So if you get a little little sativa here, two down with the purple punch, you can get a little up with the creative. Eric, did you see this packaging? (laughs) I did not. Oh, man, it's unbelievable. So it comes in this, and everybody who's listening to this, 90% of people that are listening, you can 
I don't know, Google big mics blends and see the packaging. But how amazing is that? And then pull it out and look at the. They're so cool. I got to do this because, like, that he's my brother in, in, in crime and marketing. Mike here, had a, so. la- a launch party for this yeah. last Saturday. It was unbelievable. Yeah, I got invited. I attended. It was great. Oh, it's weird. So. I didn't see you there. Hey, and the I good know, news I, I saw. I, 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 you must have been hiding from huh. me, baby. Third time that I've not been invited to a party, even though I know he loves me. (laughs) Okay, it's fine. Somebody stole the joint out of this one, but (laughs) you can imagine what it would look like if there wasn't. But I, yeah. Unbelievable packaging, I saw saw on CNN the other day that LAX is now allowing uh, allowing people through security with their weed. So check this out. LAX, you can bring less than an ounce of weed and eight grams or less of uh, concentrate. And we don't give a shit. We're going to let you on the plane. Now, where you're going and where you're going to land, <laughs> that, that's not of our concern. Yeah. It's going to be yours. And don't fly to Indonesia with that. Or Atlanta. Oh, or the Middle East. <laughs> so, so you know, Eric, that kind of the premise of, of this show and what Mike and I's dream of you know, how we came up with this was going back and giving advice to the 24-year-old us, like, you know, cheating. And there's a... You know, I think 50% of millennials are freelancers. They're very entrepreneurial and kind of like, you know, un, you know, a lot of times like we're in meetings, we've been in meetings together where you just feel like they're not telling you the truth. Yeah. Like they're telling you the agenda they want you to understand or they're, but they're not telling you the real roadmap or the recipe. And so that's kind of, we would love to pick your brain and you're, you're, um, so good at, you know, so many things, but kind of feeding to that entrepreneurial thing today and giving them some advice. What sort of things come to mind when you think about if you could go back in time when you were 24 and like sit across from yourself and look at yourself and go like, hey, kid, let me tell you a couple things. I think the biggest thing would be don't worry. You know, I think that would be the really biggest thing. Like, I think um, one of the challenges that we have is uh, something I, I speak about quite a lot. I call it the evolution gap. And, it, and what it is, is, you know, our, our psychology, our physiology evolved in nature. Yes, and it then did. 10, 15,000 years ago, we took this big left turn, right? And you know. our civilization took this left turn. But our endocrine system, our adrenal glands, our digestive system, our psychology, our instincts. Our primal programming is still there, man. They're still there. Yeah. And every, just about, I would say just about every pain that we suffer today, every bit of psychotherapy, every psycho, psychoactive uh, medical drug that we take is to try to close that gap. So here, here's such a good example. I do this often with audiences. I'll have, say, 1,000 people in the audience, and I'll ask how many of you have faced actual death in your life. And it's like 10%. I mean, real death, not like somebody cut you off on the 405. I'm talking, you know. <laughs> and road rage. Like, there was a gun to your head. Well, I, like yep. my examples are I have literally been nearly killed by white rhinos. Where I, was, I do a lot of wildlife photography. I had two white rhinos charge me and stop at 12 feet. Wow. If you have any sense of how big a white rhino is, oh, they're you, when they're running toward you, you feel it in your feet oh. on the ground. They're so big. And, and they did that twice. They t- charged at about 15 feet, turned around, went away, and then charged me again. And all I did is lift the camera and take pictures because you, if you run, they'll kill you. It, it, the only thing you could, but it's tough to tell your brain that, right? Oh, like, yeah. Do not run. And then I was in a casino in NASA, you know, that's now the Atlantis after yeah, Salt sure. I was yep. in that casino. Four men walked in with automatic assault rifles and started shooting. And so oh, wow. I, I have been in these moments where death was literally right there. And, and only yeah. about 10% of the population, when I've polled, my casual polls, um, have had that experience. But go back one generation, what percentage was it? 50%. Go back oh, another yeah. generation, it was everybody. Go back three or four or five generations, and it was monthly. Go back 100,000 years ago, and it was a daily occurrence that your body was faced with some kind of imminent danger or threat from a tribe, from a lion, from a hyena, from weather, from conditions, from food abs, you know, problems. 
So our adrenal system was designed for that, but most people have never calibrated their adrenals. So in other words, they get a visa bill in the mail and they feel like it's going to kill them. They start producing cortisol like it's going to kill them. And so the way I think about it is, is that the 24-year-old me walked across a balance beam, like the balance beam was one foot off the ground initially. It's easy stuff. You walk across it. But then as you start trying to do bigger things in business, the balance beam is rising. So the way you walk starts changing. With me, you start walking more carefully. You start being more careful because it's like you could fall and you could die. But the thing that you can't relate to is that you actually have a safety line. We live in the safest times in the history of times. You know, we, we live in a time when, yes, it looks very scary. Like now we got schools mm-hmm. that are doing mass shooting training for kids. Can you imagine this? I want you to think about this because the likelihood of any of those children ever using that training is so unlikely that they may as well put in lottery wealth planning courses for them as well because they're more likely to win the lottery. Well, before that, before that training, we had, uh, was it duck and hide? They had those ones always to scare you, the kids. So the point is, is that we are, we're frightening yep. everybody, but we do live in the safest times in history. So it's kind of like, walking across that balance beam 50 feet off the ground. But even if you had a safety line on, you're still gonna walk across it like real careful, right? And I went to a place just recently thinking about this metaphor and they had a balance beam about 25 feet off the ground and I had a safety line on and I'm walking across it really. And I suddenly thought, Eric, bonehead, you got the safety line on. Just walk across it like normal. And so I started, and they had a whole bunch of them up in the sky, like balance beam and little steps, little circles that move when you step on them. And I just walked the whole course like a human being without any fear. And the guy comes up to me and he goes, man, you must come here all the time. Really? And I said, no, my first time, but I had a safety line. And I would tell the 24-year-old me that you always have a safety line. We have bankruptcy laws. We have welfare systems. We have parents. We have friends. We, have, we live in the safest times ever. And so the way I would love to do it is imagine being able to tell the 24-year-old you to just live without all the fear because the minute you go into fear, you become a pessimist. And the minute you become a pessimist, everything looks scary, and now you're afraid. Okay. Well, negative energy attracts negative energy. So a lot of things that you, you hit on were about here in America. But we have 24-year-old millennials who listen to us are in some really bad countries. Yeah. What do you say to those guys? I think it's still very much the same thing. It's like, what are we really afraid of? I mean, look, if somebody lives, like I, I used to publish this magazine on the, on the internet years ago and this guy wrote to me and he said that his father was, it was in Malaysia and his father was like a county counselor and would get beaten up all the time because he opposed the local government and all this kind of stuff. Those are things we can't really relate to, although I'm starting to think like maybe we can. But, but you know, we, we, <laughs> we, we can't relate to that stuff so much. But, but really an entrepreneur, a millennial entrepreneur starting a business what are they afraid of? Well, they're afraid of going out of business. They're afraid of ending up with some debt. They're afraid... Failure, embarrassment. Failure, shame, embarrassment. And what I would say is, you know, there's a reason that so many multimillionaires and billionaires have had at least one bankruptcy. And that's because having had that one bankruptcy, they then found out that you don't die. I've had two. There personal, you go. One personal, one business. I've had one business one. I bought a film yeah. studio up in Northern California. I had to put it into Chapter 11 to reorganize it. Yeah. And having gone through that process... You, you, now you face business stuff differently. And it, so it's just like if you haven't faced death in your life or if you haven't faced bankruptcy in your life, then you're going to walk around with fear of it all the time. Once you've kind of faced it, it's different. So what do you tell these young kids to handle that fear? I mean, you can tell them, hey, don't worry about it. But the reality is they're still, they're, they're still scared. Is there uh, something that they can do? There's a couple things, I think. One is to look at it on a day-by-day basis. Generally speaking, when we're in business, the stuff we're afraid of is out there. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen today, so there's no point experiencing the fear today. Mm-hmm. But we do it anyway, you know. So somebody's got a potential cash flow problem; they're worried about making their payroll in three weeks. Okay, you should be aware of that. You should write that down. You should talk to your CFO if you've got one, or your dad, mm-hmm. or whatever whoever your advisor <laughs> is. Mm-hmm. But but then 
go to work that day without it because it's not going to happen that day anyway. Right. And, and I think that's a big part of it is it's all about where we put our focus. If we put our focus on what is going to happen or it might happen, we all know that it might not even happen. So why put that much focus on it? And, and why live with the adrenaline all the way through that day? Here's, I think it's a bit like this. You, if the minute you start living on adrenaline, you start going back to the old part of the brain. Yep. And in the old part of the brain is all about survival. Mm-hmm. Now you're walking along and you see a stick on the ground. Well, that stick looks like a snake. It's safer to make the, the mistake. It's, mistake it, it's safer to look at it and go, actually, no, it's a, it's a snake all the time. And the minute you start seeing all the sticks as snakes, you can't move anymore. And so that's what fear does. Fear starts making, look, if you are malnourished, if you're injured and you're walking in the bush in Africa 100,000 years mm-hmm. ago, you'd better look at that rock and think it's a lion. It's safer to mistake it, a rock for a lion than a lion for a rock. Mm-hmm. But in your whole life living like that, you could never move forward. And so all I'm saying is, yeah, there is the fear out there, but it's, it's, maybe it's our Friday fear, but why are we living through it on Monday? And, and here's a big part of it for me as a business owner. Uh, I don't know if you guys know Chip Connolly. He's a friend of mine, and just, he, was, uh, he was the founder of Joie de Vivre, and, and he's just a really fantastic guy. And he says CEO should stand for Chief Emotions Officer. And, and I really like that a lot because I think what happens is we forget that as the business owner, we set the emotional tone. You walk into your company one day in a bad mood. Mm-hmm. Everybody around the employers are going, what's going on? What happened? Is there a cash flow problem? They're going to be layoffs. You know, they start making <laughs> crap up. Yeah. And so walking around with that fear, it's very counterproductive. So I think one of the things is ship focus, but the other one, I heard it on one of your guys' podcast episode, and it's so right. You got to make sure you sleep. Shut off the blue lights at night. You want to be stressed out. The easiest way to do that is keep looking at your iPhone while you go to sleep. Yeah. Turn that baby off two hours before you go to sleep. You know, make sure you're eating properly. Get your sleep right. Breathe properly. Hey, let's start with eating. That's, That's a, a huge, huge deal. And there's a lot of shit food on the marketplace this, these days. So what's your advice on, on that? Because you're an expert at this. You know, I, uh, when I was about 21 years old, I had been sick for just about a decade with allergies and, and uh, terrible debilitating stomach cramps and cystic acne and horrible infections. I just, I was, but I didn't think of myself as sick. I thought of me as just that guy, you know, like I'm just, I get sick. You know, I'm, I'm the guy who walks around with a tissue in my hand because who knows, right? And uh, I'd been to all the doctors and specialists and all this kind of stuff. And then uh, I went off to a, um, a friend of mine convinced me to go see Tony Robbins speak. Okay. And I went off to some seminar. I thought it was a business and sales seminar. But Tony just spoke for a little bit on the one day about food. And so I had lunch with my buddy afterward. And he goes, Eric, why don't you try 30 days changing your relationship with food a little bit? And over the next 30 days, I lost 35 pounds. I, wow. uh, all of my acne cleared up. My, I breathed through my nose for the first time in 10 years. Everything mm-hmm. changed. And my doctor called to confirm the surgery I was supposed to be having. They were going to be taking my tonsils out, <laughs> which is no small thing at 21 yeah, years old. Oh, no, yeah. that's huge. It's and uh, the doctor, uh, doctor's office called to say, hey, you know, are you ready for your surgery? And I said, no, I'm not coming. And they go, why not? And I go, well, I don't have the problem anymore. And he goes, now, son. <laughs> now, now, son, you know, it's like that. Sometimes the symptoms come and sometimes they go. But if you cancel the surgery now, then the pain's going to come back. He sounded like a used car salesman trying to prevent the return, you know. Yeah. And in the end, of course, I never went for the surgery. I still have my tonsils. And, and, but here's what got real interesting for me. I asked one of my doctors. And if you can imagine, at 21, I looked about 12, right? So I, looked at my, I went to my doctor and I said, how long did you go to medical school? He, oh, says, he yeah. says six years. I go, and, and, and in mm. that six years, how much time did you spend studying food? Mm. Nothing. 
Oh, yeah. Zero. And so then I asked a few more doctors, kept getting the same answer. Then I asked my uncle. My uncle was an orthopedic surgeon. So we're not talking a GP. He's like done right. his six years. Then he's done his specialty. He's 10 years. Mm-hmm. I asked him. I said, you know, same thing. How long do you go to medical school? See, it's 10, 10 years. And I said, so, and how much of that 10 years did you spend studying food? And I, know, I kid you not, my uncle cocked his head to one side like a dog, you know, yeah. like it was a confusing question. And then suddenly the significance of it kicked in that he'd been studying medicine for 10 years and had never discussed food. I had the same thing with, with blood pressure. So I had a situation where I got a bloody nose. It wouldn't stop. I go to the hospital. My doctor wasn't in the hospital. The next day he got my charts and he said, you know, you would have had a stroke if you didn't have a deviated septum and we're going to put you on blood pressure medicine. And I'm like, well, how long am I going to be on this? And he's like, for the rest of your life. And I'm like, come on. So I started doing TM, right? Transcendental meditation. And six months later, I'm in his office. And he's like, you can quit taking the blood pressure medicine, which made me dizzy, made me feel like I was falling off a cliff, the whole thing. And he said, how did you do this? And I said, well, I've been doing transcendental meditation. He goes, oh, I've been reading and hearing all about that, how great that is. And I go, would you ever prescribe that to somebody before medication? And he just looked at me straight and he goes, no. And I'm like, why wouldn't you? Well, like, think they of it another way. Let's imagine we had a drug company. You, sure. guys, you guys are the board and I'm one of the scientists. And I go, yeah. guys. We've developed these two medicines to that'll cure, say, type two diabetes. One is a pill you take once mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's over. This other one is a pill you gotta take every day for the rest of your life. Which one do you think we should take to market? Which causes the, like seventy other symptoms. Yeah, I yeah. have a similar You don't want to kill your continuity problem. <laughs> pro- yeah. I have a similar story. So I have Hashimoto's. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. It's autoimmune disorder with your thyroid. And um, I have had this now probably eight years. And it's controlled. I don't take medicine. But when it first started out, they're like, oh, well, you need thyroid medicine. And my doctor was like, I went to the best endocrinologist I could find. My endo looked at me and said, well, your thyroid still works 75%, but I think we should remove it. And I'm like, wait. Jesus Christ. So I should remove my thyroid gland, but that's not the problem. They're like, well, your antibodies are off the charts. Your thyroid antibodies, my T-pags. They're like, so if we remove the thyroid, we calm down your immune system. I'm like... But no, there's something else happening that's causing my body to attack the thyroid. And I'm like, it's working 75%. So maybe I can get it back to like 100%. And he was like, no. And I was like, what? So I went on Synthroid, felt awful. Just the worst I've ever, I felt worse than I did when I first came in. Is that a medication for it? It's Synthroid is a synthetic thyroid you take. Mm-hmm. And once you start taking it, you're supposed to take it for the rest of your life. And then 10 years later, it causes liver problems. You need to be on a liver medication. Oh, yeah. And it causes kidney problems. Wicked it can cause, continuity plan. Yeah, it's yeah. just a domino effect. Continuity with the side effect. Yeah. It's like just long-term money goal, basically. And so I didn't want to do that. So I researched diet and health. And I changed, I did like a full detox. I only ate grilled chicken and spinach and took everything out of my diet for three weeks, did like a hardcore detox. Now I don't eat gluten. I don't eat grains. I don't eat eggs. I don't eat refined sugars. I don't eat dairy. I basically just eat meat and vegetables and like no root vegetables, no nightshades, whatever. But I'm so strict with my diet. Went back in six months and the doctor was like, your thyroid levels are normal. Your immune system's calmed down. The goiter in your throat has gotten smaller. The medicine worked. And I said, well, I haven't taken the medicine in six months. He was like, what? He's like, oh no, that's horrible. This always happens. Like, you know, your body's going to do this. Uh, Exactly. One minute your body's going to be awful and the next minute you're going to be... So outlaws, the lesson is don't trust doctors. And I was like, I'm never going to take this medicine again. I've been medicine free for eight years and everything has... I've controlled it with my food, with my diet. When you said your breathing cleared up, was that because of dairy? 
It was, yeah, mostly yeah, dairy was dairy. So was what there. did you, when you said you changed your relationship with food, what specifically did you do? At that stage, I did some basic stuff. I became vegetarian initially, which is not something I advocate these days. But uh, what I would say is, you know, people always ask me, is meat or good or bad? And the answer to that is yes. Mm. Right. Meat is good or bad. Yeah. You know, I was a vegetarian for a and, year. Or the wrong kind of meat is bad or the bad product, you know, so it's and good or bad. And your blood type yeah. and all that. There, there, so I, at that stage, I basically did, uh, you know, I, I went off dairy products and, and uh, refined f- f- uh, sugar and p- preservatives and that kind of stuff. But since then, I, I, when I found out that doctors weren't studying food, I decided to. So I, 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 went, to, I went to, you know, study archaeology and anthropology. My grandfather had discovered the oldest homo sapiens skull in the history of Earth. So I was already fascinated How by that stuff it? anyway. It was uh, 259,000 years old. More recently, there's a 300,000-year-old one that was found in Ethiopia, I think. Oh, wow. But this was in wow. South Africa. But I was always really interested in that stuff. And I even went to go live with the Hadza Bushmen in East Africa. I went to visit them many times. For how and long did you live there for? The long, live is maybe a, I stayed with them for a, a, an embedded, like, Week long stay where I took no food. No, I took water because I'm not an idiot. So what's, the, what's the craziest shit you did living with some Hudsman tribe? Hadza, Hadza, Hadza tribe. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, go hunting with them. Like the last time I went, so you were hunting I, with these guys. You would like these guys, by the way, because you really? know they will not go hunting without a little ganja. Like God they just will not do it. Well, hey. But uh, the I, I like those guys already. Uh, hey, it's an African plant. Uh, they've been they've been doing that for a long time. But I the, bet I bet what they're smoking is not like Big Mike's blends. I don't know. Let's give it a try. Though. <laughs> probably should go there and find out. I think Big Mike's blends can help them find religion. But, <laughs> yeah. but they uh, the last time, just yeah. to give an idea how crazy this can be. The last time I was with them, I uh, I took a, a pedometer with me and I was filming a lot of what was going on and stuff. Okay. And I and the chief says, "Do you want to come for a hunting trip?" Now I'd been hunting with them a few times. But he wanted to go for a full day hunting trip. So I was like, yeah, sure. And I look around. They're not carrying water. I'm not going to take, I'm going to go with them the way they're going, right? So we head off. And uh, it's, it's Africa. It's East Africa, Central. You know, it's tens. It's hot. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't know the Fahrenheit scale so well, but it's like 100 plus and uh, 42 centigrade. Oh, yeah. And, and so we're, we're out there and, and, and I'm thinking we're, we need water soon. You know, it's been five hours without water. We need water. And they're just not stopping for water. And, and I look at my pedometer at, I look down at it and we've done 26 miles. Oh, wow. Like and we're marathon. not talking, yeah, but you see, I've run a marathon and I did that in around about four hours. We're now talking over seven hours because it's not like a running track, mm-hmm. right? We're talking up and down and cliffs and thorns. My legs are shredded and wow. it's the hardest miles I've ever done in my life. And at the 26 mile mark, we still haven't had water. I don't even know how I'm still alive. I, I, and then we get to this little like Maasai. They're not Maasai, but they're like Maasai. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they have goats and, 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 and they have a trough there. And, and the Bushmen all lean down to drink out of the trough. Of course, in order to drink out of the trough, what they first got to do is move the slime out of the way. So oh. I skipped that water. <laughs> wow. I, I thought, yo, I, I think we're about a mile from, from back from there. I think I can make it another mile without water. I could not drink that water. Yeah. Anyway, we, uh, we, so all told, we did 27 miles. And when I got back to camp, I drank two liters of water in one breath. Like I emptied oh. a two-liter bottle of water. Now here's where it gets really crazy. Chief comes up to me first thing in the morning and he and I have a bit of a friendship and we tease each other a little bit and he comes up and he's like, and it has to be through a translator because they talk, they talk with all these clicky, weird, yeah, it's really cool language. And so he- drum solo? Yeah, there's some percussion percussion sound to it. And and he comes up and he goes, want to go hunting again? This is six o'clock in the morning. We just did 27 miles. And and of course, I'm, you know, like women are smart, right? Women are like, hell no. Probably because you're the only I, person. Who I'm didn't a guy. The, like, yeah. You didn't have the fleshy need amoeba that they got from the slime water. So yeah, there you go. It's like you're the only one standing, dude. Let's go. So we we went out again the very next day, wow. and, and we did another 17 miles. Wow. Again, these are the hardest, roughest Africa miles. But the reason it was cut down to 17 miles is we got a big bush pig, which is like a warthog, you know, like yeah, yeah. Line, but yeah. bigger. 
And, uh, and we got that and we took it back to camp. But what was really amazing to me about that is this is regular occurrence for them. Mm-hmm. You know, we have Uber Eats and expend no calories to get our calories. Mm. And that's what they Good have to point. do every yeah. day to get their calories. You know, think about this. I think about this a lot with food. If you have, a, you have two cars, you buy the same car, you put one in the garage and you never drive it and you drive the other one around, which one's going to last longer? Yep. The one you're driving. Yeah. Mike Oddly. has that. Yeah, I'm sure he does. a Ferrari he never drives. But you get it. Like Models the, drive it. Though. The car needs to be driven around a little yep. bit. It'll atrophy if it doesn't. And humans are even more like that because we actually get stronger with use. The car doesn't, the one that you're using doesn't get stronger. It just doesn't die as fast. But we're different. If, you do, if we don't use us, if we don't use our bodies, they get weaker and weaker and weaker. And when we do use them, they get stronger. But the food you put into that body yeah. is so critical. Totally. And, and, and so what works for you? Like if you, if you had to talk to your 24-year-old self right now about food, what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you say? Luckily, I did know at 24. Oh, you I, did? I had this conversation with oh, myself by the time I was 24. And it, it came down to this is um, the word diet is a funny word. Um, you know, uh, I think Garfield says the word diet is just die with a T on the end. (laughs) But, but we, in in, in the Western world, we treat the word diet as, as, uh, we think of it as like, um, a temporary alteration to your normal habits in order to fit into that outfit for a special occasion. That, that's what we think of as diet. But if you're watching Discovery Channel and they're talking about the cheetah over here and they go, well, the cheetah's diet it's a different word now, it's isn't it? It's his daily lifestyle. It's his daily lifestyle. Cheetah's right. diet is to eat 2.5 kilograms of fresh meat every day. Won't eat dead meat, only eats fresh meat. That's its diet. The, the elephant eats 200 kilograms of grass, bark, and fruit on a daily basis and drinks 70 liters of water. Oh, That's Lord. its diet. The leafcutter ant, what do you suppose happens there? I'm guessing they eat leaves. No, <laughs> they, 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 they don't. What they do is they take the leaves, they bring them home and compost them and oh. grow fungus because they're, they're, they're agriculturalists. That's oh. their diet. So they're making like cheese out of leaves? They, of they, they farm with aphids and it's, it's fascinating. Jeez. But the point is, is the word diet actually means lifestyle. It doesn't mean temporal alteration. Now, every species on earth has a diet. Every species on earth has one. Mm-hmm. And to the degree they're on that diet, they're healthy. And the degree they're off that diet, they're not. That's just the way it is. Okay. And so I'm, I'm reading this article one day about uh, taking elephants and putting them in zoos 100 years ago. And they would only live like 10 years. And, and, and then one day, people studying elephants in the wild found out that the elephants could actually live like 70 or 80 years. So all these zoo and circus owners became deeply concerned about their, no, their, investments. their investments, right? right, right. You know, okay, if I could get 70 years out of this investment instead of 10, I'm sure some of them love their elephants too, but mostly this was yeah. a P&L issue sure. or a balance sheet issue. But the point is that they started observing this article. I'm reading this article on the plane. They started observing the difference between the captive elephants and the wild diets. And they kept referring to the wild diets as living on a wild diet. And I thought, well, that's like grammatically incorrect. Yeah. They're not on the wild. There's no wild They're, diet. There's yeah. the elephant diet. And then there's the shit human feed them. Mm-hmm. Right? There's the shit that humans feed them. There's the wild. There's the actual elephant's diet. And as I was thinking that, I thought, oh, humans feed me too. And humans wow. also feed our livestock and humans yep. also feed our pets. And we and our pets and our livestock are the sickest animals on earth. Yep. So I don't want to be on the captive diet anymore. I want to be on the human diet. And then this now gets a little bit tricky because, of course, the real fad these days is to give somebody a really carefully marketed. I mean, you, we're all marketers yeah, here, yeah, right? Package yeah. it. The blood type the name diet it. Or, the, or the genome type diet. You are homo sapiens. There, we're in Los Angeles. How many people live here? A few million. There's not one of the few million people around here that don't need vitamin C, that don't need vitamin D, that don't need omega fats, that don't need the right combination of amino acids. Yeah. We are all homo sapiens and we have a diet. Now, some of us 
just have food sensitivities that are a little different than each other. But what I would go back and tell the 24-year-old me, which I was lucky enough to be able to do, mm-hmm. was eat the stuff that your ancestors ate. Mm-hmm. Eat the stuff that you evolved the ability so what to is process and, the abil- and that you developed a dependency right. on. Well, we, our ancestors typically ate about 200 different plant species a year. The average oh, wow. American eats maybe five, and that's only because the FDA made pizza count as one. <laughs> Really? Yeah, yeah. Pizza, pizza counts as one of your five a day. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's good great. news, isn't it? I, I knew I've I was, been avoiding pizza. You know, I knew I was on the wrong diet. I wasn't eating that pizza. <laughs> there you go. Right. Well, yeah. I so I uh, had a dog recently pass, but I was really into his health mm. and trying to keep him to live as long as possible. He lived to be twelve. But I took him to a holistic vet, and my vet was like, "What are you feeding him?" And I was like, "Well, you know, there's." beef and I took chicken out of his diet because it's so mass produced it's awful for dogs and he got like a yeast infection on his skin so he's like take the chicken out and he goes why are you feeding your dog beef and I was like because it's a higher protein and it's not chicken and he goes your dog's nine pounds in the wild your dog would not be able to kill a cow so only (laughs) feed only feed your animal what they could kill in the wild a chicken a turkey a salmon don't feed it pork cow it can't physically kill that in the wild and I was like my whole brain exploded. I'm like, wow. And I hate a- to do this to you. I hate to. But you yeah. got to remember that they're scavengers. So your dog would have gone after the lions and it would have eaten some of that cow and it would have eaten some of that pig. That's oh. what jackals. Scraps, that's what scraps. jackals. Yes, and, scraps, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they would have gotten those say, things. He wasn't killing But anything. I'll tell you what. <laughs> you leave him alone, that little angel. <laughs> but I'll tell he wasn't you. killing a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the bigger issue is, is the quality of meat. I was working, uh, um, I've done some writing and photography work around cheetahs and wild dogs. Yeah. And so there's this cheetah breeding place down in South Africa and, and uh, they breed endangered animals, particularly African wild dogs and cheetahs. Wow. African wild dogs are super easy to breed. It's like this. You take the male, you take the female, you put them in the same place together, and they, get, they make babies. <laughs> it happens. Done. <laughs> with cats, it's, with, the, with the cheetahs, it's a lot more complicated. They could never get them to mate. And so they, they tried all these different mating rituals, and they figured out what they had to do is they created this thing called Lover's Lane, and the, men are in, the, the males are in these pens all along Lover's Lane, and then they take the, the woman, and they got her on a leash, and they walk her up, the, and she sniffs at the cages, and she checks out there what they do for a living, and you know what wow. kind of, and, she, and then she picks one. And then they unleash her and they let her in and she either eviscerates him and attacks him or she mates with him. So it's a little like human dating. It's, it's <laughs> simple. It's, it's like speed dating. Bit, yeah. <laughs> sounds like Mike's love life. But so, <laughs> sounds like how Jamie hey, treats yeah, our poor Matt. So, so they figured my, out. My old love life. <laughs> so they figured out how to get them to do the active mating, but the girls were, were, were still not getting pregnant. Now, now, by the way, there's a parallel here because if you read, there was a, some research came out a couple of years ago that the sperm count in American men is dropping so fast yeah, in 2050. Right. We Thank will, God. Thank we God. Will, we, men won't be able to breed without medical assistance, right? So, wow. so, so, so this is what's getting fascinating is the cheetahs were mating but not getting pregnant. So they brought doctors in to take a look at them and they figured out, and here's, they looked at their blood. They drew their blood and took a look at their blood, live blood. And here's what they found is the wild cheetahs, their blood was like little soft pink discs floating around like little red UFOs in the bloodstream. And the captive cheetahs had like their blood was all glommed together, you know, like stuck. And so why? They eat the same thing. They're meat eaters. Mm. This is why I say to you, when somebody asks, is meat good or bad? The answer is yes. Meat is good or bad because what's going on is what, what do you suppose the difference is? Well, the wild cheetahs are eating wild antelopes that are four percent fat the captive cheetahs are eating the donated cows and donkeys and horses that are all at 30 and 40 percent fat and so just that difference was putting enough fat in their system that it was making it really difficult for them to breed now that they're they strip all the battle the the fat away and they get them as much wild meat as possible boom everything's fine 
Did you see the article I sent you? Oh yeah, and and and, and Paul, yeah, that was a crazy talk about that. I I was hoping you could explain it to me. So they just found in a study to... that there's impressions on your DNA when you're abused <laughs> right. as a kid. Have, you, huh. have yeah. you read about that? No, it doesn't surprise me though. Yeah. So they're saying that they they're thinking that they'll be able to enter that as evidence in cases right. because the, it's flushed with some chemical, and, right? And they can, huh. yeah, and they can go back in time and see when that happened. Ooh. It's nuts. I know. That's cool. What a time to be alive, right, guys? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I come, Eric and I might want to just go back to where we just kind of. I think we're in stuff. the la- I think we're in the last thirty years of acceptable living. <laughs> I really so do. Go the other really? way. Yeah, we are. Think about this. You know that like, quantum computing comes along, and suddenly Correct. no data is ever safe ever again. Yeah, yeah. Right. The minute somebody cracks that encryption is over. That means not, you will never have another digital secret again. How much fun is that going to be? And they're working on it. Like, <laughs> like Wait, how do you even measure money at that point anymore? You're back to gold bars in your bedroom. I'm, I'm sure we got some smart people working on him. I, I hope. He was suddenly thinking about his gold bars in his yeah, bedroom. Yeah, he's like, fuck. No. <laughs> he's like, I'm thinking about a lot more than... Keep him yeah, in the kitchen. <laughs> okay, so you Anyways. never really answered... How you eat food. Okay, so I, I think that... Like, what's a daily routine for you? That's exactly the point. There is no daily routine. Human beings mm-hmm. evolved for seasonal adjustment. Yeah. We but evolved I mean, like for you it. you wake up, you're like, I eat oatmeal at this. Like, no, it, okay. but that's the whole... Listen to me. It's, I really mean this. Is There is no perfect daily meal. The, the idea of an RDA, you know, all the governments around the world have come up with this recommended daily yeah, allowance. Yeah. Yeah. I dare you. I dare you to go look at that list and then try to fold, find whole food sources for all that stuff and eat no. enough food in a day no. that can yeah. satisfy that. that. That list is all yeah. bullshit. It right? is. It's it, bought and paid it, for. It's bought and paid for by the dairy and the pig farmers yeah, and all yeah. that. And, and right behind them is the pharma company knowing how fucked up the diets are. And then yep. they already know what they have to bring out to the marketplace. It's, it's no, it's, it's insane. It's part they, of a they, grand strategy. The, the, oh, R- it is part of a grand strategy. The, it really is. The RDA yeah. for calcium, this is maybe outdated. It's from research yeah. I did for a book years ago. But the RDA for calcium at one point in the United States was three times what it was in, in Japan. Why? Why? Well, because milk we have better milk ver- milk lobbyists. Do you know, do you know how, what the milk lobby budget is? <laughs> no, I, I found this out. Uh, there was a guy named Paul Rovey who was managing the dairy management company, which yeah. was their lobbyist. This is about 10 years ago when I wrote about this. But his annual budget was $165 million a year. Wow. What, what do you suppose you or me or Dean Graziosi or yeah. any marketer could do with $165 million? Yeah. We could convince them that anything was good for them. Try, try, <laughs> try this out with milk. This is fun. Ask your friends this. Here's an ice cream that's made from human milk. Would yeah. you like some? Uh. Oh, no. Yeah, I, I tried human milk. When me I, too. I, I'm a baby, right? And I go, what does this stuff taste like? Ugh. But here's the crazy yeah. thing. Look at the reaction yeah. of the public when they're offered that. They're like, yeah. human right. milk. Oh, Look but from a cow is somehow okay. Yeah. Yeah, my right. best friend Kristen. Marketing. Marketing. I, t- I drink my best friend Kristen's breast milk from a glass, not from her breast before you even try to mention that. And it's like sweet and weird, but it's not something I'd be like, ooh, pour it over some cheese. Why do women pick up this strange shit? Because you you'd be like, like, oh, how did you get her milk? Yeah, I can already hear it. I melt her like a dairy cow, all right? There you go. Okay, well, she squeezed into a glass because she had to like express herself. Right. And she's like, oh, and I was like, she's like, you want to drink it? I'm like, yeah. I'm, yeah, for sure. You're my best friend. I love your kids. I Right out of the booth. I'll steal some of their food. So I just chugged it like a shot of tequila, and I was like, I don't want to do that again. Did you feel closer to her? Yeah. Yeah, and her a, children. I was there's like, hormones oh, in that, right? Little oh, yeah, babies. All kinds of good what stuff hormone in is in there that makes you bond? Cholesterol. No, no when you're first no, born? Oh, no, when in you're the born. milk. 
Oh, I don't know about the milk. I, I know what the, what's in the brain happening when, when the baby's born. Uh, yeah. Okay, so let me but ask let's you go this. back to the food. Yeah, issue, I, 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 I want to know this. what you yeah. eat so, every so, day. So, no, so let's just talk a little bit about seasons for a minute. So um, you know that we have these movements all the time. Right now, keto's hot. Right? Yeah, you right. Gotta, keto. That's huge, 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 huge. Right. Okay. Or, or and you know, you know uh, got to alkalize. Oh, right. You got to alkalize. Okay. I, I mean, you know what I think about alkaline? People don't realize they want to change alkaline into blood. I know a lot about pH because I had to learn it and do it for this pH perfect product that I have. And so I went to pharma and I go like like what do you guys do they go the band is so narrow that our ph resides in that if you move it in or out anyway you're going to like have serious problems probably death okay mm. so then how does the body regulate it right the body regulates it so but this is exactly to the conversation of seasons so what mammals do is that in one season say for example it's spring and there's greens everywhere and hunting is good in africa hunting happens when yeah. the rains come yeah, this is fascinating uh, an impala the impalas will all go get pregnant over the breeding season of several weeks but they'll all have their babies on the same day Really? Yeah. They, now, this is a smart thing. They, they, they have it on the same day because if you have your babies all on different days, then the lions eat them all. But if you have your babies all on the same day, then the lions can only eat so many, and then your babies get an extra few days to get their legs, and then they can run for themselves. Nature's very interesting. And the way they figure this out is because they, they, they don't have an app for that, right? They wait for the rain. Right. <laughs> maybe the millennial, maybe the millennial impalas have an app, but previously they didn't have that. Right. And so they would just wait for the first rains to come and then yep. they drop their babies. So think about that season. If there's a ton of good hunting around, we're going to eat a lot of meat, green vegetables around, what have you. That might be quite an acidic season for us, right? We're eating a lot of foods that would cause us to create acidity in our body. So then the body goes, oh, we have to stay within that narrow band that you were talking right. about. So what does it do? It borrows calcium. It creates calcium bicarbonate, which is alkaline and yeah, balances sure. the acidity in the blood, as I understand this. Mm -hmm. And so where do you think it can borrow the calcium from? Bone. The skeletal system, the central bank of calcium. Now, then though, you're going to go through another season where there's not so much meat eating or so there's a more alkaline natural environment happening. And then the body's going to go, oh, now we have to adjust for increased acidity. So we're going to put the calcium back into the bones. Mm -hmm. And so you're supposed to have this like figure eight season all the time. And the trouble for most people in the Western world is we don't change those seasons, which is why, you know, Canada, America, Norway, Sweden, Germany, Denmark drink more milk than anybody else in the world. And they're the highest rates of hip fracture in the world. It goes completely against what we were taught about milk. Because milk creates acidity. Mm -hmm. And so constantly you're drinking milk, you're creating acidity, and you're taking calcium out of your bones. So you I need think. it more and more. What about sheep's milk? I, Dave are you, are you, a, group, are you a sheep? Uh, no. <laughs> but I, I do yogurt because I heard it's better than... The, uh, the dairy yogurt. Well, I, you know, I think that I think that uh, cocaine is probably better than you know crystal, crystal meth. meth. <laughs> I, I, my yeah. feeling is this: is you know, milk. Just think of the specificity of it for a minute, right. right? A human mother, the first sixteen drops that come out are colostrum, and then after that, she starts making milk, and the milk changes week by week by week for the baby. The the milk is literally different each week. If you go and you can buy milk on uh, there's a website where you can actually buy milk for in case you're you're you know not making enough milk or what have sure. you, and they sell it based on the week that it's in because the week is matched to the developmental stage of the baby. Right. So we're not supposed to have it once our teeth come in, basically. Not even human milk, yeah. right? So, so when you ask me what about sheep's milk, I'm like, well, I, you know, which, yeah, which of the out. sheep's hormones are you interested in? And, right. and I, you know, I, look, I'm not saying it's as bad. Now, you know, maybe, like goat's milk is very popular and right. it doesn't seem to cause the same neg immediate negative reaction in a lot of people that dairy milk does. But I would say this at a minimum, you cannot argue at all that it's required. Right. There's no basis for arguing that we need any milk from any species other than our own after, you know, and, and not after we're two. What's you know what Dave's pitch on that? 
I don't know. Well, Dave, Dave said he, well, he looked at it all and he likes yogurt. And he said the least impactful is, is sheep's yogurt. So I started buying sheep's yogurt. But his thing with Bulletproof is he's putting butter in coffee, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. Dave, I was on Dave's podcast, uh, I, don't, I don't know, whatever, about a year ago. And so I was up at his place in Victoria. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the, the weird quirk of it was is I gave up caffeine when I was 18 years old. And I, I like I, I quit caffeine and I was I, I had heroin like withdrawal symptoms for two weeks. No kidding. Vomiting, headaches, the whole deal. And then I really. And then, yeah. And then I, about a week and a half into this, I, I went to the fridge. I, I felt like it was a bad episode from a sitcom. I was so sick. It's three o'clock in the morning. I go to the fridge, open up. My girlfriend still had a Coke in the fridge. I took the Coke out, drank it. Next morning, fever's gone sickness gone and i'm like oh this wow. is bad i thought i just had the flu but i didn't i didn't see the correlations mm. and so then about a month later i did it again i quit caffeine again and yeah. i got sick again for two weeks and this was actually in victoria bc in in the late 80s and so now here i am you know 30 years later uh, at, at dave's place and and we're doing we're doing a live podcast and he's like are you gonna have a bulletproof coffee and I'm like, oh, I'm sitting here with the biggest drug dealer in the world. Okay, maybe the second biggest drug dealer in the world. I'm Thank kidding. He's <laughs> pointing at Big Mike. I just want to let you guys know. <laughs> but I'm sitting there with Dave. Legal, and he's like, by the way. Legal, legal, legal. Well, so is Dave. And, he, yeah, and, he's, and, he, and, and so he convinces me. He goes, well, off camera. He's like, will you have a coffee? And I'm like, oh, look, I, I'll have one. I haven't had one in 30 years. Yeah. I know I'm not going to go back to it. So, but, you know, the kicker is he puts butter in it. Yeah. But that's all happening on camera live. And once he's once we're on camera live, I don't want to be the guys like, oh, I saw you put butter in that. I don't want to. I don't want to diss his brand or, right. or his product. And yeah. I think Dave does incredible work. I'm a big fan. Yep. So I end up drinking my first coffee in 30 years, but also full of butter. The caffeine actually didn't destroy me. I really thought I'd be like you know flying everywhere, and I was okay with it. Mm-hmm. But man, the, the like two days of digestive pain from the, from the butter. Yeah, yeah, it was awful. Well, Won't I was ever gonna do that again. say well. that uh, my nutritionist told me that dairy, we shouldn't be drinking it, obviously, but we're the only mammals on the planet that drink another mammal's milk after the age of two. The only mammal on the planet that drinks another mammal's milk after the age of well, two. Well, you can go further with That's that. That's only, only mammals on Earth that drink milk after two. That's what I'm saying. E- after e- the- even of our own. Right. 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 So, yeah. so again, go back to the, what I'm going here with the seasons is in the same way that our body adjusts alkalinity, acidity, it can do that itself. What that means is that we actually are supposed to have times when we're a little bit more alkaline and a little bit more acidic. We're supposed to have a season where we put fat on and a season where we take fat off. We're supposed to alternate. So over the course of the year, what we should be focusing on is getting things that are nutritionally important to us, but not overdoing it. Is kale good or bad? Yes. If if you eat, I'll tell you, like, for example, if you've got thyroid issues, even spinach is not a great plan for you sometimes because I know the cruciferous vegetables are tough on the thyroid. That doesn't mean you should never have them. It means that you should have them the way we evolved to have them seasonally. You know, like nature would bring this stuff along and see our cravings developed for what was available and what was available back then was adjusted by the seasons. Now it's available all the time. Yeah. You know, I often think this is the way to think about sugar. What do you suppose would happen if you took a species that evolved a powerful craving for an incredibly nutritious food, but then you duplicated the taste of that food with a poison? What would happen to that species? Right. Oh, yeah. They'd be dead. Well, that's what happened to us. We have a powerful craving for sugar. We have an oh, yeah. unbelievably powerful craving for sweet. Really, it's a processed poison. It's a, it's a processed drug. It really is. Yeah. And, and of course, that's what they've done is they've taken that craving and utilized it for marketing purposes. Yeah. So, so, the, the, so the ideal thing for eating in the mornings for me, it depends on the season. So if 
I'm in spring, which I'm in right now, I, uh, I'm in what we call wild fit spring. So okay. wild fit spring comes in a deep spring, which is like deep, deep, deep ketosis or a lighter spring, which is like regular ketosis, like say up to 25 grams of carbs in a day. So okay. right now I'm in, I'm in spring cause I'm preparing for some training. So what does that mean? I'm largely focused on high quality proteins, which would come in the form of fishes and meats and nuts and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And lots and lots of vegetables, the widest possible variety I can get. That's pretty much all I'm eating at the moment. Yeah. Then what'll happen is, is that I'll move from spring and I'll go, I'll, I'll move into summer and then I'll, I'll start having some berries because you know, they're super high antioxidant. They're really mm -hmm. good for you, but they're good for you for a few weeks. Mm -hmm. Then I might go into fall and during fall, I will allow myself more, uh, um, root vegetables and you know, that sort of stuff like, yeah. uh, you know, sweet potatoes, or I might even allow some rice and that kind of stuff. Cause it's a more carb season. Right. Now, this is these cycles are really important because fat is not just this thing you have on your body it serves a purpose the only reason anybody carries more fat than they need is because their body perceives they need it mm. that's how it works and so the reason the body perceives they need look okay chipmunks and squirrels what do they do when winter's coming they store nuts. Yeah. They fatten up in their bodies, and then they store nuts, yeah. right? And they, they, and they don't again like, like the, uh, the, you know, they don't, they don't have an app for that. They, they just have an instinct, right? Yeah. And so do we. And so what happens is there's certain behaviors that we have that tell our body that winter is coming. Yeah. And those behaviors are to eat a lot of carbs because that's when most of the fruits would be in season, when most of the root vegetables are in season. So you're eating those things, and your body's going, holy shit. Winter is coming. And I just, I want to put this in perspective for you. What's the number one cause of death of humans throughout history? Starvation. Yeah. And so you're, you have evolved to not starve. You've evolved the psychology, the instincts, the physiology not to starve. And so if your body starts perceiving that winter is coming, it's going to store hydration and energy, which is called fat. Yeah. The trouble is, is that that fat's going to do other things like wrap up toxins and acids and that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And then that's why when the winter's over, you then communicate to your body, I no, I no longer need to carry this fat. And then the body will release it. But it'll also then have to deal with the toxins and, the, and, and you get a bit of a cleansing, you know, spring cleaning kind of so a thing. So you think this, this diet by the seasons, because the environment, as, as we're aware now, turns on and off different gene sets. Yes. So do you think this, this diet is turning on and off different gene sets? And, and, it's, and because of that, it's regulating our body the way it should and we're not regulating it the way that we should be now because we have a constant diet of shit. That's exactly what I'm saying is that you're, you're, you have the, uh, the way we used to think of, I joke with my dad that I kind of, I, I, I often joke that I invented epigenetics. I, I, I am the inventor of the, uh, and here's, I, I'm kidding, but what happened was when I was well, about. Explain epigenetics. Like, epigenetics is the, the, the is in the, in the simplest sense, it's the understanding that where we used to think of genes as like bricks. So you got some bricks from your dad, you got your bricks from your mom, and you built you, right? Mm -hmm. And epigenetics is the understanding that those bricks are switches. Correct. Some of them are on-off, some of them are multi-setting, but they're switches. And so you get some bricks from your dad, you get some bricks from your mom, but the way your dad or your mom lived is going to adjust how those bricks were set when you got them. So if your mom was eating a lot of sugar at the time you were conceived and during the time you were gestated, then you're gonna be born with sugar sensitivity and a sugar craving because that switch is turned on for you, huh. right? So your, your parents' behavior affect these things. Now that's, that's a really rudimentary, very basic way to look at epigenetics. So the reason I joke that I kind of invented it was that my dad and I were on a fishing trip when I was about 12 and they were flying squirrels. And I went to my dad and I go, wow, these squirrels are incredible. They like leave that tree and they scream their way through the air over to that other tree. And I said to him, I thought, do you think that their desire to get to that other tree in midair, because it's got to be terrifying at 80 feet in the air, like, do you think that their desire to get to the air is driving their evolution? And my dad says, no, it's just bricks. Mm. 
But in a weird way, we now recognize that the way we live does affect the way we turn on and express mm-hmm. those genes. And so when you are eating in a fall season, you are flipping what we call, in WildFit, we refer to it as a switch. You are flipping the switch that tells your body, retain fat. Yeah. And then you will. And the, but, but it's really easy to switch back and, and switch the flip the other way. And, and when you switch the flip the other way, you start producing ketones and you're producing it, you're burning different energy sources. And then the body goes, hell, I don't have to carry this shit around with me anymore because it's work. It's work mm-hmm. to carry it. It's work to clean it. It's work to feed it. The body doesn't want it there. It only keeps it there because it perceives it needs to. I wanted to know what you felt about using food as a reward system because I was actually talking to Missy about this today because she found out she had a gluten allergy recently. So she's picking my brain and she said, oh, and and Saturday I had chicken and waffles because I deserved it and I was like, fuck it. And then I felt horrible. I told her, I said, you should never use food as a uh, reward system. Food is meant to keep you alive and keep you, you know, energetic not to be a reward system like a lion doesn't walk around and go, you know what? I chased a lot of camels today or whatever. I'm going to eat a zebra. Like they don't, Think of food as like a reward. I'll, I'll, you're absolutely right. And then I think we can improve it with a little twist. And that is who are you rewarding? Right. Right. Who are you rewarding? You you know, I want you to imagine that you own, let's say, a Ferrari that you almost never drive. But let's say you were about (laughs) to take that Ferrari and you were going to drive from LA and you were going to go to Vegas and you were going to go fast. And you were really going to work that engine. What kind of fuel would you put in? Highest octane I can find. Yeah. So why is it that people go to the gym and reward themselves with rubbish? Yeah. What they're doing uh, when they do that, they go to the gym, they're working, they're pushing the muscles, they're pushing the yeah. cardio system, they're doing all this stuff. They're using that to justify because they somehow think calories have anything to do with health, which they don't. Yeah. It's insane. And so, so what happens now is that they then use that to justify why they can now have this, uh, you know, blizzard, blizzard smoothie at Dairy Queen or yeah. some crap. Yeah. But think about that. You've just finished the workout. Now your body's going to begin the rebuilding phase yeah. and you're going to rebuild yourself with the Dairy Queen blizzard? <laughs> so what I think is, sorry for that. Last time Missy ever shares anything with Jamie. I have the biggest <laughs> mouth in the South, okay? Well, so, so now the way I think of it is another way and that is I want to reward my body. Mm-hmm. So I, and you know what? The lion does reward himself. Yeah. You know, the lion, and by the way, lion, male lions get a bad rap, by the way. You know, they, they always say it's all the women that do the hunting. That is largely true, but the male lions hunt as well. I just want to get that on record. You know, I think men need to be spoken up for a little bit these and, days. You know? And the male lion is there to protect his gene line. Yeah, That's he is. the main function. And he's tough as nails. Yeah. He's t- just, just a small illustration of how tough as nails he is. If a female lion is sitting on a kill that she's just won, mm-hmm. and, and a hyena shows up, which is a hyena makes a, a pit bull look like a... Yeah. poodle and and and, yeah. that, and one hyena shows up she won't even notice it if two shows up she'll look at them and growl at them and it's only when the third hyena shows up that she'll surrender the kill that's how tough she is mm-hmm. the male lion if he's on a kill he won't he won't even really start to pay attention to hyenas until there's about 15 of them and then around 20 he'll start charging at them every now and again and it's only when the 30th hyena shows up that he'll finally surrender the kill he is tough i've seen i've seen a pack of male lions go in and decimate a pack of hyenas and they did it like nothing. Just well, like I, boom, 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 they were done. Yeah, a and that single was it. male lion can do that. It's, yeah. it's, it's incredible. Yeah. But, but the, what I was saying is the lion does reward itself. Yeah. You know, the lion hunts. 
And what is it? What's it doing? Aerobic and anaerobic exercise, and then it immediately rewards itself with high quality, low fat protein. Yeah. And so that's I, I like the idea of not rewarding our emotions. Our parents taught us that stuff. They didn't mean to. They didn't understand what yeah. they were doing. But they taught us that if we skinned our knee, a cookie was love, and all this kind of crap. Mm. Instead, what I want to do is I want to I want to put in a really solid workout and reward my body. You get a shot at the doctor, they give you a lollipop. So let, yeah. let me ask you a serious question: Where does tequila fit into this? <laughs> it is, is from there, a plant. Is there a point in that's this? conversation where you diet. say that tequila isn't good for you you know one of the core things about wild fit and and we you know i i should say this i, I you know we we have quite literally transformed the lives of thousands of people in 20 countries around the world it, it, we we have it is absolutely routine that people write to us and reverse their type 2 diabetes they, their cancer's in remission their, their blood pressure meds have been cut to zero this is a wow. daily we get those emails um, and so I want to kind of get that on the record. What, I, I, what we're doing is really effective. But one of the reasons that it's that effective is it's not simply you asking me what you should eat. And I tell you, because the fact of the matter is the diet industry got that right a long time ago. Lauren Cordain's probably done more for the health of the world than probably anybody else. The concept of paleo was fundamentally correct. There's a bunch of issues that I would say to improve it. But the, but the challenge is people around us, all around Los Angeles, we can walk around and ask anybody in this city, in any area, what should you be eating to be healthier and what shouldn't you be eating? They all know. Yeah. but they're not doing it, right? And so what we have to do is address psychology, and that's why we're so effective, because we deal with that piece. And one of the core principles of WildFit is about freedom. And so it is not about restriction. It is about giving people food freedom. And so what I would say to you about tequila is that tequila is not an ideal substance that your body is calling out for, but it is a substance of occasional taste and emotional enjoyment that you should allow yourself if that's important to you. The difference is if you're starting to do it to the point where it's detrimental to your, either your health or your mental health, then it's a problem. I haven't had alcohol since 1991, not because of wild fit or not mm -hmm. because of health. I just made that decision. My dad was an alcoholic. My brother was a drug addict. And I saw the trend happening in the family. And I thought, maybe I'll just stop that. We'll skip that one. But, but, my, but my, my wife drinks, not heavily. She'll have a Prosecco here or there. Or, and I have no, I, I don't, I have no, in fact, I quite enjoy when she does that. But the, you know, so, so my answer to tequila would be, hey, yeah, but, but we have to be very careful. One of the most dangerous expressions in the world is everything in moderation. Mm -hmm. It's a fundamentally dangerous expression because everything in moderation, well, what is everything? Everything includes your health. If you, if you live everything in moderation, then you will have moderate health. You will be the one in three people that dies of a heart attack or the one in three people that gets cancer or the half of people that develop dementia or the one in, you know, almost one in three people that end up with blood sugar disorders like diabetes. That's everything in moderation. My view is I go for extreme health. That's my view. And what that means to me is moderation. If I did have tequila, that would mean that I would figure out what, what real moderation was. Moderation would not be a daily consumption of that because that would never give the liver a break. Right. My friends ask me, am I better off to drink six glasses of wine on a Saturday night or a glass of wine every day? I go, go for the six on the Saturday night. Give your body a week to heal. Yeah. Mm. Ooh, should we talk about business? Because <laughs> we got, well, he's well, a well, health well, expert, I, but no, no, he's got no, a lot the, of business. Perhaps I'm concerned, we, we have been. Because if you don't eat right, you're not, mind's not going to work properly. You're going to make bad decisions. And so, like, this is really super important to, to understand because your business life is going to be great. Your sex life is going to be a lot better. And your general overall health is going to be a lot better because you're not going to have one of those goddamn it, hospital bills. It is, what you've just said is so vitally important. Um, 
we did a big survey and we had about mm-hmm. 400 respondents to it and you know checking out what were the benefits that they got from completing the program and the number one thing was weight loss and it's not a weight loss program we don't sell right. it that it's not meant to be that it just happens right. to be the most effective way of doing that but the the third highest thing i mean we have all kinds of stuff on there but the third highest thing was an increased sense of well-being an increased sense of well-being in other words they felt better as human beings mm-hmm. The, the more, the better you feel, the more conscious your thought process becomes and you start being able to think. The worse you feel, the more into survival limbic thinking you are and you become fundamentally more negative. That is at the core of business right there. If somebody wants to be a truly outstanding athlete, if somebody wants to be a phenomenal leader in business, then getting their nutritional needs met and not toxifying themselves is crucial to the process. 